Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. On this week's podcast, we talked to Jason Meekoff, who is the Upper Great Lakes Chapter Coordinator of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And he, he was one of the integral parts of bringing Backcountry Hunters and Anglers to Michigan and is now serves on the National Board as the Great Lakes Coordinator. Um, Jason has some real good information about Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and what the whole movement is about. Um, so it's a really good discussion um, about the organization and what they do and then how you can become involved. And at each of the Total Archery Challenge events, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers put on an after-party sponsored by Yeti um, where you could sign up and you would get a membership, a one-year membership, and a Yeti tumbler. So we got with them to... Uh, purchase two of those for two of our listeners. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a giveaway for a membership to Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, a Yeti tumbler with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers logo, and then we're going to toss in one of the shirts that we just had printed up so you'll get uh, all three of those. And um, you can look for us on social media on how to sign up for that. And as always, be sure to check out our affiliates at Bowhunter Box Club, the only subscription box that offers high-quality, useful products for bowhunters delivered monthly right to your door. $45 a month gets you a minimum of $60 to $70 in value. And you can get $10 off by using code CHRONICLES on your first order. Also check out our friends at Serviceside. Serviceside offers hunting gear and hunting lifestyle apparel for hunters just like you and me. They can be found also on YouTube by searching Deer Slayer TV for hunting videos, tips, and gear reviews. You can save 10% on your entire purchase at Serviceside by using code CHRONICLES as well. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to give us a review, good, bad, or otherwise, uh, on whatever platform it is that you're listening to. That'll allow us to reach more people, or um, if you give us a bad review, it'll give us a chance to see what we're doing wrong and things that we can improve upon. So enjoy today's episode, and thanks for listening. Shut up and sit down. 
Hey everybody, Adam and John here back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And today we're here uh, sitting outside at Boyne Mountain at the Total Archery Challenge. And we're sitting with Jason Meekoff from the Michigan Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And so Jason, what is your position with Michigan Backcountry Hunters and Anglers? Because it's too long for me to remember. So, <laughs> so I'm actually um, a national staff member. So I used to be the Michigan chapter chair for the first two years of its existence, for of the Michigan chapter's existence. I then, a job came up with BHA as a Great Lakes chapter coordinator. So I am the chapter coordinator for Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and we just added Ohio as a chapter in uh, April. So I sort of take up that space. I always tell everybody that I'm sort of the facilitator in chief for my region, right? I run around, make sure stuff happens. So that's sort of my job. Make sure that the uh, chapters in those states sort of accomplish what they want to get done and sort of are able to get the things done that need to happen within those states. Okay. And so we were talking about before the podcast and a little bit earlier today, I don't think until last year I even knew what backcountry hunters and anglers was let alone that it was a organization that was a that was in michigan and elsewhere so what is backcountry hunters and anglers and like what's the what's their mission and kind of like a little bit of history on that so the tagline for uh bha is the sportsman's voice for our wild public lands waters and wildlife so we fight to keep our public lands and our public waters safe from being privatized, stuff like that. Um, we believe in fair chase. We fight for fair chase. We fight to keep public lands public and we keep, and we fight to keep habitat in those areas in good shape still so that you don't have to worry about, you know, I was going to go hunting in this place, but now it's an oil slick or, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's what we fight for around the country. So, and around the world and well, around North America. We have uh, multiple Canadian chapters. We're probably going to add another one next year. So we have British Columbia and Alberta probably end up adding in the Yukon next year. So we fight around the country for these things. In Michigan chapter, it's not surprising that somebody doesn't know what BHA is in Michigan. The chapter's only, you know, we're just a little over what we started in 2016 so it's not really that old right. so but in that time we've really grown really fast you know we started in 2016 the state the chapter had like 62 members in the state we're up over 600 now so it's growing super fast and it's because it sort of hits that point that you know i'm a member and other I'm sure you guys are too member of other conservation organizations, species specific things like your RMEF, your DU, all those kind of things. The thing that's different about BHA is the truth is those things are awesome. Those organizations do great things, but the truth is without the land itself, it doesn't matter because if we don't have those public lands to go on, then, you know, the single dad or single mom in the city or any place are not going to be able to take their kids out hunting any place because they can't afford a lease. They can't. They don't have public private land to hunt, and that's going to spell the end of this passion that we all have. And we fight to keep that from happening. So, 
And so what is the origin of, I mean, what was the, where did it all start? So it's sort of that whole same thing about this. In 2004, around a campfire in Oregon, there was a couple of people, Fred Beagle and some other people, were talking about this same sort of thing. It's like there's all these species-specific ones, but nobody's fighting for the land itself um, from a hunter's standpoint, right? There's all these other organizations you can think of that aren't hunting organizations that are like, oh, the land needs to be kept safe and all these kind of things. But they don't see it in the same way that hunters and anglers do. Um, and I think that's an important way to look at the land as a you know, renewable resource in some ways. You know, you have animals and all that kind of stuff in multiple use. And they saw that too. And there just wasn't that coverage in that in the hunter and angler conservation fields of that particular area. And they're like, we want to do this. We want to protect these places. So they started an organization. And since then, you know, we've, the national chapter has grown, the national organization has grown to up over 20,000 members around the country. Um, we have chapters in 38 states, three Canadian provinces. We even have a Washington, D.C. chapter. So it's really growing. And a lot of people out east are like, oh, that doesn't matter to me. It's just, you know, we don't have really hardly any public land to hunt. The truth is, out east is every bit as important as it is out west because those pieces of public land you do have are even more important because without those, what happens? You don't, there's a lot of people that have no place they can go then. So that's sort of like the fruition of BHA. And then do you think it maybe centers around that it started in Oregon and just kind of trickled East? I think or, so. Or is it because the little bit that I've, um, you know, kind of researched or like dip my toes into like seeing about it, that it kind of like kind of big game, free range, like giant tract of land hunter. So is it that they were elk hunters and, you know, I mean, there's no spring bear here. There's yeah. no, I think there's that there's a perception by some folks in the East that that might be the case. Right. And those things are important, right. Even to us people, e even to us in the Eastern part of the country that we have only, <clears throat> sorry, you know, we might have broken up plots of public land and stuff, small tracks, stuff like that. Those things out West are important, not just from like, you know, you and I, we want to go out West to go elk hunting or something like that. That's important. But like, just from a, like, it's nice to know that those places exist. Right. But in the East, you know, we still fight for public land, you know, in Michigan, there's been some bad bills that we fought, and it wasn't about oh, we want to save the giant, you know, national forest. It was about state lands, and most state lands are small, broken up chunks of land, and that's like it's parcel here, you know. Like you, I hunt a lot in the Thumb, and all of that is like you know, you got 50 acres, 100 acres, 40 acres, and they might touch at a corner or something, but you know, you got a lot of these broke up pieces, and those pieces are really important. And if the state, in this state, if, you know, those go away, what do you do? So we fight for those all the time. They're really important. And so then I guess growing up hunting in Michigan and, you know, going that route, I guess, mm -hmm. from small tract of land to small tract of land, how did you end up with BHA? Um, I had a kid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that it was... So I have I have a 15-year-old daughter now, you know. Um, 
it was you know five five years ago or so. I was always, I've always hunted. She's hunted with me since she was ten months old. I carried her to the deer blind for the first year. After that, probably two year, two or three years actually, because carrying a kid for through snow in you know that's just what you had to do. But she's always hunted with me, and you know I got to a point where it's like I don't own any land. My family does up north, further like up in this area, kind of. But this is a long ways from home, and every time I want to go hunting. I'll have to drive three and a half hours, but I can't do that all the time. I got a full-time job. I got a kid and a wife and all that. It's really important that if I want to get my kid outside, I got to have these public lands. So I wanted to make sure I protected those or helped protect. I wanted to do my part, right? And I always tell everybody, pick something and give a damn, right? And that's what I picked. So I understand, but I mean, so for me, without you guys being here last year or Mm -hmm. without John figuring it out, I would never have known maybe further driving into social media or something like that. I wouldn't even know that it existed. So was it just, you were like, well, how can I help public lands and then started researching it? Or, I mean, from that point, from seeing it to. Sort of the diaspora of people I hang out with. Right. So like just people I hung out with stuff like that. As a result, you know, with social media and all that kind of stuff, you start seeing things that the people that you also hang out with see with. And then you're like, oh, never heard of this group before and start reading about it and all that kind of stuff. And that's sort of, it was very organic like that. It was, you know, just sort of the general people you hang around with and that kind of stuff sort of led to me discovering that. Okay. So, and was that prior to Michigan having... Yeah, chapter. Yeah, that was before Michigan had a chapter. So I was a member before we had a chapter by okay. a couple years. So, so were you integral to the process of Michigan creating a chapter, or? Well, I was the uh, I was the inaugural inaugural chair. Um, we have Ryan here. He's uh he's sitting over there, but we're not actually <laughs> talking to him. But uh, people say I was pretty important, but I I don't know. I just did my part, right? Everybody had their role. We all just sort of moved along, made stuff happen. And as a result, the chapter's grown pretty quick. So, Yeah. When we were over in Detroit, they, uh, they had, you guys grown, was it how many members just this year? Oh, it's, it's ridiculous this year. Uh, so I think at the end of the year, you know, we've already added like 200 members or something like this, more than 200 members this year, which is, you know, you know, we're well on our way to double again from what we doubled the year before. So it's it's growing really fast. It's right. Not only that, then like when we were in Detroit, there was, I mean, how many people showed up to that? that yeah. was, I mean, there was a ton of people. Yeah, we had a story night on a Tuesday night in Detroit, and we had like 120 people show up. Right. It was it was quite amazing how the, the yeah. turnout. Yeah, exactly. And we, we drove all the way over from the other side of the yeah. state to show up and, you know, I had a great time. We ended up driving back that night, which yeah. <laughs> Adam, drive. Adam was a little, uh, little tired. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I seem to do my best work with no sleep. And <laughs> so I hear that, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. So I guess in your youth, like you said, you grew up, uh, McBain. Yeah. Area. McBain. So what was the area? Is that nearing the thumb? So there was so, a small no, McBain is just, um, southeast of here a little way so it's a little bit 
basically almost straight east and just a little south of Cadillac. So it's about an hour and a half drive from here, kind of southeast. Um, so it's basically north central Michigan, lower peninsula. So where I grew up, predominantly dairy farms in like the area of the county I grew up. I, I grew up in, it's Missaukee County. I say I grew up in McBain, but I was still like nine miles from the city. It's just like there's everything's tiny up there. So, you know, I graduated with 80 people in my class and that was the big class that that was like the biggest class in the last 20 years. So, you know, I always joke that there's more milk cows in the city of McBain than there are people. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I grew up there. That area is predominantly milk farm, like cattle farms, like stuff like that. Primarily dairy. Um, and then as you move towards the Eastern, part of that county and more north you start getting into like a lot of swampland state land stuff like that so we use that one we would hunt that some but i you know my family had a bunch of acreage my grandfather was a farm my grandfather on both sides were farmers you know i had thousands of acres i could hunt i remember a time you know i could walk from my house across lots of people's different property all the way down and do all sorts of stuff that that's gone away now with like the uh, rise of the uh, monetization of the white-tailed deer that doesn't happen anymore. You know, right. you can't just walk from point A to point B across a bunch of people's land. It, it used to be okay, and nobody was going to complain about the neighbor kid walking. In, but now that doesn't happen as much. Yeah. So base camp leasing. Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just not not a thing anymore. So. You know, that changed. And with that change, you start realizing how important the public land is and stuff like that. So, When you were hunting, did you start out like, like, so John and I, from the time we were, as soon as, I mean, in Michigan at the time, it was 12 years old, yep. then you could hunt. So it was bird hunting first because it, or squirrel hunting or whatever small game it started in September. And then October 1st was bow season and yeah. it was from 12 years on September to yeah. I had, I had a shotgun in my hand since I was like 10 years old. You know, yeah. We lived private land, so it was like shooting squirrels, rabbits, all that kind of stuff. I think I'm technically past the statute of limitations for shooting a squirrel <laughs> when I was 10. You know? right. uh, but They're a nuisance. Yeah, exactly. I started bow hunting the day I turned 12. Yep. You know, like, Well, not the day because my birthday's in March, but the first you know, opening day of bow season, you know. First time I ever sat in a tree stand opening day of bow season, I missed an eight point. <laughs> Probably the most scared I've ever been in a tree stand. I'm like, ah! Yeah. But, you know, I've been bow hunting forever. And, you know, I've been I've been hunting forever. It's just what you did. You know? Yeah. I mean, so for Easter, when I was five years old in my Easter basket, I got a fiberglass compound bow with yeah. fiberglass arrows. And when I was 10 years old, I got a single shot. H&R 12 gauge for Christmas. Isn't that what everybody gets? Yeah. I mean, well, my brother was eight and I was really upset because I was like, why didn't I get one when I was eight? How come he gets everything at the same time that I do? What I just, I just cringe or like, I don't know, because it seems like similar. So first time you go out hunting, like you missed an eight point, John goes out and they just, he just shot deer like, oh, this is easy. Like I'm not going to rifle hunt anymore. I'm just going to shoot him with my bow because it's rifling is way too easy. Like, I was lucky. So. Oh, if it, I've shot, I've when it comes to rifle, um, I've gone exactly I think two seasons in my ty- entire legal hunting season 
life without shooting a deer. So rifle season is, uh, I enjoy doing it, but it's way more like grocery shopping than uh, bow hunting is. Oh, yeah. Right. So. Yeah, like when when I grew up, my dad and all of his buddies, that's all I heard about, you know, from the time I can remember. They would go up to the UP and to the hunting camp, and and it was, I mean, I couldn't wait to the day, you know, for the day to come for me to go. And then the year before I turned 14, there there was a big fallout in their camp, oh. and it got broke up. And that so, sucks. So my, you know, the year I turned, my, my birthday is November 1st, so yeah. I turned, you know, 14 November 1st, and... We, my dad and I ended up going up to the UP just ourselves, and then the weather was terrible. They actually closed the bridge, and we came back and hunted our spot, our friend's spot in free soil. But I didn't kill anything that first year, but then after that I killed, you know, like a six-point, and then a really nice eight-point, and then a really nice ten-point. Yeah. And so it was, but then I got the, I mean, I always bow hunted. Yeah. But after killing those, it kind of like, kind of set it up for me where, man, I just want to kill him with my bow. Yeah. And so it, I went probably 20, 20 years before I picked up the rifle again just to go yeah. with my son. Yeah. But it would have been different, I think, because, like, my dad's the camp broke up. Mm-hmm. And then at the time, my younger brother was playing uh, travel hockey. So uh. during the winter, you know, it kind of got to the point where they were gone. It was just hockey, hockey, hockey. Yeah. And so I was kind of on my own, you know, yeah, with my buddies you, yeah. and my buddies' dads or my uncles or something. But Yeah, and, like, so when I was younger, we've got our property, and it was, like, the same thing like you say. It was literally just, like, if you want to shoot a deer, just shoot one. Yeah. You know, it, well, there was no challenge of it. And then once I started to, like, change my style of hunting or, like, what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. the – "Quote unquote Michigan traditionalist deer camp hunters." Yeah, you know, I I passed on like some mutant bucks and some like smaller bucks yeah. and stuff like that, and it was like I I was like almost shunned, <laughs> and it was it was yeah. like well I, I just quit rifle hunting at that point almost because it was it was like I've I've been in the tree like thirty times already before I got yeah. to rifle season, and you're gonna tell me like what I can or can't do or whatever and it's yeah. like, you know it just it's kind of like what you talk about like the people that you surround yourself with and it's like yeah i move more towards just bow hunting and then yeah if i needed some venison <laughs> i would go shoot something with a rifle but yeah it wasn't necessarily the thing you know for me so um so on that side of the state it seems like a lot of the guys or many of the things centralized around uh BHA the post or maybe some of the board members or or whatever end up being like the Pigeon River, right? Yeah, I think a lot of it with the Pigeon comes from the fact that as far as like truly sort of back country in the lower peninsula um minus like some national like you have the wilderness a couple of wil- like wilderness areas there, Nordhouse dunes, all that kind of stuff. Um Besides that, as far it's about as backcountry as you can get. There are areas in there you can be a couple miles from a road. It's not very many, just because you know in the Lower Peninsula, um, one thing we're not running out of is uh, roads. But uh, 
the pigeon does have some spots where you can get away from the road. And that's pretty rare in the lower peninsula. So I think that's why some people you'll you'll definitely see it from some people will definitely push about that. And it's you know, it's a the by far the largest contiguous tract of state land in the lower peninsula. And how how large is it? Oh jeez, I can't even remember the exact square acres. Um it's tens of thousands. Um, it's a lot of acreage. Now, didn't didn't you guys just do something with like the ORVs because they were? Yeah. So two years ago, a pill, bill was passed. It was two eighty one. Um, that bill required the. So it used to be in the Lower Peninsula that all state forest roads were closed to ORV traffic unless marked open. Okay. The bill flipped that, so it was all. Roads were closed to were open to ORV traffic unless marked closed. So we did some work with going to the legislator, well, working with the DNR, talking to the DNR, stuff like that. We were invited to um, one of the meetings where they talked about what to do. We testified in front of them. We sent out some action alerts about some certain areas, especially the Pigeon River. And it's not about ORVs being bad. Right. But it's just they don't need to be in every place, right? Exactly. I, I like ORVs. They're fun. It's fun to drive a river around right. on a four-wheeler. Good times. Right. But it doesn't need to be a, on, in every place. There's certain places where let traditionally have been quieter areas, like the Pigeon, you know, m- the Mason Tract, stuff like that. And we did some work, got ORVs kept out of those areas. It still opened massive amounts of more ORV trails, essentially. But it kept it out of those areas, and that's kind of what we wanted to do. So we did that work, and I thought that I think that's good work because the thing about multiple use, and that is what that land is, it's multiple use, is it doesn't mean every acre is multiple use. Like, I'm not going to stick a hole in the ground, walk around, and hunt all on the same acre, right? Right. Um, But that you have to manage in a hole in a multiple use. Right system so there needs to be areas that are slightly differently managed and that was why what we were going for and it ended up happening so we were really happy about right. that right that's i mean i i come from an orv i still have my quad and yeah. ride dirt bikes and you know i used to ride dirt bikes a lot but but i love to hunt and the one thing is you know when a dirt dirt bike's flying through the woods yeah exactly but i remember reading it you know and, but i didn't you know i couldn't remember all the specifics yeah. about it yeah i think that's a good like segue like a little bit because we didn't talk about necessarily how does bha you know you can say that you're for public lands and you're for the production of them but how do they how does bha go about doing that so bha is a it's a grassroots organization it's not top down it's bottom up right so within a state like with that orv thing there was a certain tract of land that was going to be opened in the first preliminary ideas a member reached out to us and said, hey, this is listed as open. It shouldn't be listed as open. And we looked into it and we agreed. So we, the state chapter was like, okay, we're going to send out a national alert. So national didn't come down and say, hey, you need to do this. It was a state-led item 
and they we sent out action alerts to people. And the thing with BHA that's as a grassroots organization where it's really powerful is that BHA's members show up, right? If you send out an action alert, you'll get a tremendous amount of response and those people will actually call their legislators and may, and let them know that they're not okay with these things. And that's where BHA makes a difference. And I love a lot of other conservation organizations, but the truth is most conservation organizations, they send out an action alert or something like that. They don't get a huge like bump in like the calls and stuff that are state senators and stuff like that. BHA is different. We always say BHA shows up. You know, every, the world is run by folks who show up and BHA shows up. And that's, you know, BHA is the members. And that's where we're able to make things happen is because the members actually do stuff. And it's like, you know, there's organizations with a lot more members than us, both nationally and in state. But we make a surprisingly, a surprisingly large amount of things actually happen because our members are active, whereas a lot of others aren't quite the same way. That's what I would say. I think what I've seen like through the whole thing is that like if you're following any of it on social media or hell, if you sign up for BHA, it's, you know, you're getting emails saying this is happening, this is happening, this is yeah. happening. And then you get the, um, the quarterly magazine and it says like, this is what this each state mm -hmm. did. And so you talked about how many, like how you're getting, uh, North American, different countries. How many states actually have a chapter of BHA? 38 states have, are within a chapter. A couple of those, some of those states, like you have a Northeast chapter, which a New England chapter, which encompasses a, some of the New England states, like having, you know, one chapter for each one of those tiny states, while, you know, in some ways would work currently just from membership base it doesn't work and then we have a southeast chapter which covers like eight states in the southeast that will change at some point um probably relatively soon just as membership growth grows in each of those states but so we have 38 states right now if you look at the map on the bha website backcountryhunters.org it shows if you click on chapters it'll show you where all the it'll show you a map and there's a lot of states that have chapters. It's way more than half. You know, we're I, we're not that far from having all. So, now what about the like the English side, like the water? Do we yeah, we do a lot there too. Like one of our big pushes right now is access our waters, um, which is sort of it's a hashtag, but it's also a uh, like sort of social. It's a movement to sort of push that. Water access is really important. You get a lot of states like Michigan has really good water access laws, right? right? So water access laws are sign of a sort of a patchwork across the country. Um, you get into water access, it's really crazy. Like a lot of things are based on is that r river navigable, right? right? Well, navigable river from federal standpoint has to do with whether whether that r river was used for commerce, right? right. Or shipping or things like that. You get into states like up here and a lot of other logging states that were former. It comes down to whether or not a log was ever floated down that river. Yeah. And like how do you prove that kind of stuff? It gets really weird. And then out west, things are sort of a little bit different. You get states like Colorado where you can't touch anything that isn't water. 
So, like, you can't touch a tree, you can't touch a rock, you can't drop an anchor, you can't do anything. So, the only way you can fish that river is if you're in a drift boat. And it's just, uh, you know, somebody's paddling, you can't get out of the boat to go to the bathroom, you can't do any of that stuff. You can't have an oar touch a rock in the river and... Guys, folks will stand on the side of the river waiting for somebody to touch a rock or something like that so that they can call the authorities. Right. I I heard something about that when I, when we were out west last. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like you can have the water, but yep. we own the, the rights of all the, you the know, bank, the service, the bank. Bank, anything growing off, trees, all that right. kind of stuff. Whereas in a lot of eastern states, you're looking at high water line. So, in Montana's the same way. So, high water line, and you have the legal ability to uh, go around stuff. Say a tree, you can, tree is across the whole river, you can't get around. You actually have the legal ability to go around said tree. Um, You know, a navigable stream, you can't have, if you see somebody has a fence across a stream, that's illegal. You, know, you can't block access to that. So stuff like that. And we're really working on a lot of that access stuff around the country. Um, you have things going on like Louisiana, where you have marshes and all that kind of stuff, where currently, um, because of some weird court rulings and stuff like that, people are posting water. Like they're putting up no trespassing signs on water water because of like some recent rulings and stuff um and like and it's really screwing up like there's a bat what is it the big bass fishing tournament place used to always do a bass fishing tournament in those backwaters down there in louisiana they actually drew out they withdrew from doing any more things till like that gets taken care of because Nobody knows if they're trespassing. If they're not trespassing, it is technically trespassing. You can post water. You <laughs> like, like you can't be on the water in that area, right. even though you can float from any place to another place. Um, stuff like that. So it's just crazy. So we're doing a lot of work with that. You have non-meandering waters in South Dakota and the Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota, where you have what are essentially lakes. And people, because of some weird rulings and stuff from their courts, and I think it has to do with a legislative thing, that people are posting water. Like, you can't fish this corner of the lake because it's private property. (laughs) Wow, that that would be crazy. I mean, we are fortunate here in Michigan. Yeah, so we're doing a lot of stuff like that, fighting that kind of stuff. Because, you know, it's everybody's water. Right. right. So. Because here in Michigan, what is it? You get like three feet outside of. It's generally the high wa- the high water mark. Well, it's the normal high water mark. We're not talking like when we get flooding. It's the general like stream bed essentially is what it well, is. I just think of like the Muskegon River because we've got friends that have property there. And like every spring it's up over the road. So it's like, oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't so, walk up into their yeah. yard. No, but, you can't. But, but it, you, yeah, you can get out and yeah, you get out and get around. Not, yep, exactly. Right. There's there's people like when we kayak, we've kayaked like uh, the White River, or I think the Pine too. The Pine they really 
the people sit there, like you were saying, they yeah. do out west. They sit there and wait for you to get out and yell at you. It's like, well, yeah. I'm I'm perfectly legal right here. Yeah. I can stand you can right here. Yell at here. me if you want. Right. But it does. The people do get pretty possessive of stuff. Yeah. And it's one of those things. There's only so many streams and people, like, they buy that piece of land and then they have that, like, bucolic idea of what that stream they're going to live on is. And it's not quite the same. You, know, right. you have to realize that that stream, especially in Michigan and a bunch of other states, is public land. And that that's public water. And there is a section of land on either side of where the water is actually flowing at the moment that people can get out. They can walk on, do what they want. And so with the backcountry aspect of it, like we talked about this earlier and it's something like I wanted to like ask about, especially, you know, we're a bow hunting podcast, but there seems to be this movement towards, I'm going to hike out there, set up my camp, but I got to have a, a trad bow to do it. And it seems like there's a, a, <laughs> a movement towards like tr- the back country and traditional yeah kind of like intersect i think a lot of that just has to do with uh some people have moved that way i have a trad bow i don't generally shoot it at deer because i'm not that good with it and i like to eat venison that's sort of my (laughs) whole thing there (laughs) um i shoot it at squirrels that's about all i do um i think it's sort of the cool thing now. I think it's cool that people are getting into it because it there is a sort of truth is that you know generally if you're getting into trad bow hunting, you like doing things the harder way. You're okay with like making sure you're doing things in a way that's ethical, right? Because like you wouldn't choose to make something as that hard unless you're okay with like. Letting something walk by because it was a bad shot, right? Right. You know, stuff like that. You know, so it's cool that people are getting into it. I think some people, I think right now with social media and all that stuff, it looks like it's way more popular than it is. (laughs) Well, and I think that that's the thing is like, because without looking at the magazine and you'd only have, you basically have to be a member to get the, the magazine, you know, the angling portion of it is, is one thing and it was interesting to to hear the speakers that were um you know the guides here in michigan and and things like that um at the the storytelling but from social media it seems like the ones who are the most i don't necessarily michigan whatever uh influential or vocal or whatever end up being the guys that are the traditional bow guys. And so it almost reads as a traditional bow. Trad bow thing. Tra- yeah. yeah. I can see that. It, I don't know. I think a lot of that is just the people that just get into trad bows, like ah, I'm getting a trad bow, tend to be really loud about it. Right. <laughs> like, yay, I'm into trad bows. <laughs> struggle stick. It's a struggle <laughs> stick, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's if you just get into something, it's really exciting to you. And that's sort of the thing. And that's awesome. Um, believe me, uh, there's way more people in BHA that shoot compounds and trad posts. <laughs> Maybe it just doesn't make good pictures for Instagram. Or yeah, something. exactly. Know. It's, it, you know, I think it's a social media thing. I think there has been a resurgence in 
traditional archery. There's no doubt about that. But I think social media um, has made it look way bigger than it really is. So, but yeah, I did, like I say, I just think like when I think of BHA, like without sitting down and actually talking to the people, it it seems like you know from someone again from like our perspective who you know a year ago didn't even know that it existed yeah. it ends up either being big mountain hunting yeah or trad bow yeah. things and so at the root of the issue is actually it's not i guess it is backcountry hunters and anglers but it's more like we want public backcountry yeah exactly we, you know right. and so it's, exactly. like it's a a different dichotomy there. i like to say make your own backcountry right everybody's backcountry is their own thing. When you're a kid, it was the 20 acres behind your house you could go walk around, right? Or it can be. You know, I hunt in the thumb all the time. There's spots out there I go that nobody else goes, and they're like 20 acres of some chunk of public land that's kind of a pain in the butt to get into. So nobody goes there. Yeah, it's 20 acres that's only a little ways off a road. But it's backcountry, if you want to call it backcountry. But, you know. It's not all about like giant chunks of land. It's about public land, right? So, right, public land and keeping public land. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with with your uh, positions um, over this two years of the Michigan backcountry, yeah, hunters and anglers. What is the main membership? I mean, is it people that are just passionate about hunting, or I mean? I guess it seems like outside of kind of like what we just talked about, this would be take the, the hunters and anglers portion out of it. It, it, it's a great group for anyone to be a part of because basically it's just about keeping land available for you. Yeah, exactly. And so do you, have you seen any like new hunters or any, anybody who you you said you were saying about how people get excited about, yeah, traditional I, bows and they're excited about something. This seems like something that you should be excited about because it's something yeah. that's trying to do we actually pr- something for we you. We get a pretty good amount of new hunters. Um, the occasional non-hunter altogether. I had a vegan one time told me they were giving us money because uh, just because they thought public land was awesome and they actually liked the way that like hunters do stuff just because like if you're going to eat meat you might as well own it. And they're like, yeah, I gave you guys – I'm technically a member because you guys are doing good work. You know, and it's not something most people would think of, but I think it's important that people recognize that. Um, but, yeah, we get a pretty good amount of new hunters. And, you know, around the country um, in Wisconsin, working towards doing some of this stuff in Michigan, but there's a lot of BHA chapters that are involved in, like, learn-to-hunt programs and stuff like that. Just because we think it's, you know, we work with public land and new hunters generally, if you're an adult onset hunter, as they're calling them, you're probably going to end up hunting on public land, stuff like that, because you don't, you probably don't know anybody, stuff like that. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff around the country. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of like what I was thinking about is like, well, it's public land and here's a group that's saying, these are the things we're going to do you're getting together with like-minded people to talk about hunting lands in your area or, you know, places where you can go and fish. And we're saying we're going to try and uh, protect them. So I think it's, 
it seems to fall in line with a new hunter, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. In in that regard. Um, yeah, definitely. So being up here at the Total Archery Challenge, we talked about it. You know, you're putting on a BHA is putting on an event sponsored by Yeti, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so Yeti has been in the news about all this controversy about not supporting the NRA and yeah. people are blowing up their coolers and and doing all the, the stuff like that. But it seems like here they're doing a really good thing. So is it just a PR thing? who owns the company or so I'll say this Yeti has done a ton of stuff for BHA for years. Okay. Um, take this year, for instance, they've donated for each one of these tacks around the country. TA total archery challenge what is it, six or seven of them. They've donated, donated to BHA 500 of them for each one of these events um, to help build membership and gain funds for BHA to protect our public lands. They donated every chapter, well, every state that has a chapter, um, a Yeti, one of the big 65 quart coolers, and a Yeti uh, hopper, hopper, two or three, whichever one we chose, um, to every one of those to raffle, to do a membership drive to help do this stuff. And they've done all this kind of stuff every year. They've, you know... Donate lots of money to BHA and other conservation organizations. They do great work for conservation. Um, they are a private company. They can donate money to who they can do what they want to do. I'll say that, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of other companies that people have, you know, in their pocket any day of the week and they're not running around blowing those things up, even though they give money legitimately to anti-hunting organizations. Um, Yeti does a ton for conservation around the country and they help protect our public lands. They help keep habitat good around the country. And I think they're an awesome company. You know, they can support who they want. You know, I don't require anybody to give any particular company money because they are organization money because they're a private industry. They can do what they want. You know, in general, most people are going to say this is a uh, capitalist society. You can do with your money what you will. Um, and that's sort of my thought on it, you know, as far as all that goes. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those difficult things because on the surface, you have two giant companies or entities kind of having different differing statements yeah. and they're just saying well this is what they said this is what they said and it just ends up being a pissing contest about like wh- who has the better pr staff yeah uh, essentially um but the fallout for you know the the public or the the second amendment guy is like ridiculous and i, I mean i'm a gun owner someone say uh fanatic i mean yeah. as far as like guns and gun rights and uh you know i i think I think everybody should have a gun. I think it should be like the wild, wild west. <laughs> I, think, I literally think that you would have like, everybody would have like a different level of respect for other human beings if everybody had a gun. Like yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be so quick to say everything, mm-hmm. you know. But it, with Yeti doing this all for, again, yes, it, again, even though it says backcountry hunters and anglers, yeah. what it ends up reading is public lands, yeah. conservation. Public lands so, and waters, man. Yeah. So, 
they're giving money to maybe the the root of the whole thing. Yeah, and exactly. So they're saying they have an issue with guns or guns aren't popular in the or media. Just right one now. organization. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah. And so there, it, yeah, and I don't know. There was some conflict there. There was some conflict that doesn't involve us. Right. Um, they do great things for us. That's all I know. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say like. That that's yeah. what's, that was is what's going on. They're putting out all this money, you know, and all this yeah, time exactly. and resources to conservation. Um, so I think that that should be also right. noted. I think you know? people should definitely take that into right. consideration yeah, before they're, they're doing stuff. Have um, an issue. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the five hundred. Those are the tumblers, right? Yeah. Exactly. The the big ones too. Like the yeah. They're they're they're, they're, they're not the thirty twos. They're the twenties. Twenties. But they have a BHA logo on them. They're like super nice tumblers. Right. These aren't like yeah. You can go to the store and buy one. And it's going to cost you thirty bucks. Yeah. At exactly. Least. And they just they gave every uh, like you're saying every one every every, every yeah. site or every uh, every state location. that has a chapter that has a tag got. 500. 500 of them. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That is. That's a huge amount. It's a ridiculous quantity of money. And, you know, and all that's to help drive membership. So in, at these tax, you get a Yeti tumbler, a membership, and two drink tickets for the after party for $30. That right. tumbler is at $30. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's like basically you buy the tumbler and you get yeah. all the rest, you know, exactly. in the membership. Like we're yeah. already members. So, you know, we bought in, yeah, and then I'm I'm gonna gift my membership yeah, exactly. to one of my buddies that I told about, and he's like, yeah. "Oh yeah, I want." I'm like, "Well, I'm a, I'll gift you get you your membership, and then that way he's getting the magazine, he'll get involved." He's like, "Well, yeah, I want to I want to donate some money. I want to yeah. find a good you know yeah organization." I'm like, awesome. "Well, here we go." So, yeah, exactly. That's great. Well, yeah, talk a little bit about that because it, I think that's kind of like the way that. BHA works or does really, they have really good relationships with companies. So one of the things when John was telling me about BHA last year before we had come here and all that, mm-hmm. is he's like, you know, I'm really interested in this. Check this out. And he either pulled it up on his phone or he had like a brochure or something. And he's like, look at this. And like, so the lifetime memberships yeah. are like a, a gimme. They're, they're right? amazing. So <laughs> lifetime memberships, we have lifetime memberships that have gold, platinum, you have silver, gold, and platinum sponsored lifetime memberships that come with you know everything from Kimber rifles to seek outside tents to yeah you know, Orvis fly fishing deals. It, it's Jackson kayaks, Jackson, like- yeah, it's crazy. And like usually, if you look at the actual price of said item retail and the price of the uh, mem- the like lifetime membership, you're usually in the ballpark. Like it's crazy. So you like get a lifetime membership and get this thing for free. Or if you want to look at it like, Oh, I got this gun that I paid for that's retail price. And then a lifetime membership cost me a hundred bucks. Yeah. Right. So so that's what he was saying. He was like, look, if if you just wanted to buy one of these, like, look at this. If you want to buy a 1911 Kimber 1911. Yeah, exactly. Like like, same price. Yeah. The Kimber gold, uh, lifetime membership for BHA is like fifteen hundred bucks, and you get a nineteen a custom like a Kimber nineteen eleven. That's like a twelve hundred dollar gun. Right. <laughs> it's like a showcase. Gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, 
And so where would people find this stuff if they were looking for? Definitely uh, go to backcountryhunters.org. It's definitely the place to go. So, And if people wanted to be more involved, um, like you're always putting stuff out on social media and yeah. things like that. So in generally there's going to be – you could search on Instagram depending on what state you're in. Just like the state and backcountry hunters and anglers, you'll find something. Uh, Michigan is backcountry hunters – anglers mi just search michigan bha it'll come up um and and facebook you have like a if you search chap your state chapter like state whatever state so in michigan it's michigan chapter backcountry hunters and anglers there's a group and in that group there'll be conversations from everything of but these are the legislative things that are going on to somebody who happens to be traveling to the state who's a BHA member from someplace else that's like, hey, I'm going to this general area. Somebody mind uh, like giving me someplace I can camp or you know, just someplace to go. Do well, that kind of stuff. That's what's really cool is that there's a lot of events, but it also is very much like a community. It is. In, in, in that regard. Uh, we always say, especially as staff members, just because we get to see all this stuff around the country, is BHA is like one big family. Like, I know folks that I've never met in person that if I send them a message on social media that I am going to such a state to go elk hunting, they'll send me friggin' pins of locations in the mountains where they know elk are. Um, I've done it for people that have come to Michigan because they have family here or something like that. I've sent them pins of like places to like, they're like, Oh, I'm going to Michigan. I don't know where to deer hunt. I'm in this general vicinity. I've sent them freaking GPS pins of where these are spots. I go all the time. Uh, these, these are good spots to go. And you know, it's just, it's family. And that's, what's odd. I mean, eh. In in reality, when it seems like when you generally talk, I guess in like a local circle or whatever about public land, people are not like, "This is where I hunt." It's really more like to that. they they hate to see people on their same. Here's, here's what I'm going to say: Michigan, we got eight million acres of public land. I like seeing different trees. Quite frankly, right. <laughs> like, it's like I can see the same tree over and over for years in a row. I've done that. Um, did that for, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. I've seen the same trees over and over for many years in a row. Um, I like seeing different trees. If I know there's a spot I've hunted somewhat, somebody else shows there. If they get there before I did, it's public land. They own it. You know, we're all public landowners, as they say. Um, if you got there first, that's yours. I'll go someplace else. But to be open to sharing your, you know, spots to people coming from out of state, that's, that, like you say, that's like family. Yeah, exactly. Or, or not. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Might be better than the family. It, yeah, that, that goes back to a whole other story. Or maybe family we'll, I wouldn't share those things with. We won't go oh. there. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah, so I mean, I think basically we've kind of talked about everything that we've we've kind of got to here on backcountry hunters and anglers and everything. And we just want to thank you for coming out oh, thanks, and man. Uh, being on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, because you can follow Jason on uh, social media, Jason Meekoff or Jay Meekoff. I'm I'm Jason Meekoff on Facebook. Um, on Instagram, it's Meekoff.j. Okay. So, but in, it he, you know he does a lot of the stuff for uh, Michigan BHA. So yeah, the, a lot of them go hand in hand. But um, 
just following your stuff and seeing everything that you're doing, I mean, it's not, I, I had to ask him like, is this your job or do you have something else? Because one day he's in Minnesota and then he's in Wisconsin <laughs> and then he's in the UP and then he's in yeah. Detroit. And it's like, man, this guy really is getting out there and, and, you know, spreading the message of BHA. Yeah. But I don't think there's a better person to do it. Cause you're oh, super personal. I appreciate that guy. And you know, it's, you have no, uh, qualms of sitting down and saying hey this is what it's all about yeah come on in well there's no secrets gotta tell folks what it's about right right so right. so just you know thank you very much for your time and having having no you here if there's anything that we can do for you don't you yeah. know hesitate to reach out um i think that's all we got for today so you know thanks a bunch right. can't do sounds good man we'll have to ha do this again oh, absolutely certainly so. if you're ever on the west side of the state i, I mean, get on the west side quite often i'm uh marrying my uh sister-in-law Okay. Later this month in Kalamazoo. So. Okay. Well, you know, if you need a place to stay, hunt, fish, whatever, get a <laughs> hold of Sounds good us. to me. All right. Thanks for stopping by.